Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak. His name is Stephen Trinkwald. We are rumbling right along with our 2022 season outlooks. We're going team by team. Uh, Stephen, we are running out of time here, <laughs> but we're talking about the Dallas Wings today. We're jamming them in. The Dallas Wings, they were 14-18 and 18 in the regular season. They made the playoffs for the first time since, I believe, 2018. They were the seven seed, just negative on the net rating side, negative 0.8 net rating. They were sixth in offense, 100.9 points per 100 possessions, and eighth in defense, 100.3 points allowed per 100 possessions. So uh, pretty average on both ends. They lost in the first round single elimination game to the eventual WNBA champion Chicago Sky. So Erica, I think this team was pretty clearly the seventh best team in the league last year. You know, worse than all the good teams pretty significantly, better than all the bad teams, I think pretty significantly as well. You know, when I think of the Dallas Wings last season, first of all, I'm thinking back to before the season when I think we were really excited to watch them, to watch them develop a lot of high profile young players who we expected to improve new coaching staff who we expected to bring some some fresh energy some some fresh blood to the team um bring a new philosophy if you will and uh then they ended up being like the most average team in the league like they, they were the median team right they're solid seventh seed pretty much middle of the pack in both offense and defense ended up buying out in the first one basically everything you'd expect an average team to do yeah the closest thing we had to like an even net rating as well but i think with that kind of came some some highs and lows, you know, I thought in the first half, they seemed to really kind of be underperforming their net rating. They were a positive 1.8 net rating in the first half, but only went nine and 12. So, you know, vastly underperforming that by a few games and going into the break, kind of thinking maybe their, their win loss and their luck in close games, you know, they had a ton of losses in very, very close games down the stretch. You know, I didn't really dive into their clutch numbers um, but I imagine that they probably were not very good with all those close losses but instead of sort of normalizing it in the second half it they kind of vastly overperformed their second half net rating they went five and six in the second half which is of course not very good but they had a minus six net rating which is uh, very very bad and almost all of that of course what they were playing without arguably their best player Satu Sabali who missed just a ton of time in the second half of the season so I think that kind of explains a lot of the the dip in sort of overall performance and definitely the dip in watchability, I think. Can I say something about those stats real quick? That kind of goes to show how the WNBA season, when compared to maybe the NBA season, is prone to just so much variance. You know, at the start of the season, everyone's like, okay, look at look at the wings. They're they're play or they're playing so much better than what what they're showing on the court or whatever. Like their net rating is so much better than their win loss record. And then uh, towards the end of the season, it was basically the opposite, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's something to keep in mind. I'm sorry, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I was just gonna say that in you know in the first half they were kind of buoyed by like two or three like huge blowout wins, right, and then in right. the second half, you know, they got destroyed by the Connecticut Sun twice, and that I'm sure had like a huge effect on that net negative six net rating because the sample size is just so small like you're saying so yeah so while we were fans uh, we always throw out the net rating and the o rating and the d rating and all the different ratings that we have at our disposal um yeah sample size usually pretty small for the WNBA season and for players as well so take that for what you will especially when you're like breaking up into halves like we oh yeah, do yeah to yeah. just especially you know the this year there was like the month-long break so um but 
to kind of get into the the overarching numbers, you know, this team, you kind of mentioned, you know, the change in philosophy going from Brian Agler, who I think was a, certainly an imperfect coach and probably a pretty poor coach for this specific roster and kind of where they were to, Vic, bad fit, yeah. to Vicky Johnson. But I feel like we, we still don't really know, like, what is Vicky Johnson's identity as a coach? Like, what does she want this team to be able to do well? Do you have any ideas for that? No, I don't. And actually, I was going to say something along the same lines. Um, obviously, for a young team, there will be growing pains and there will be uh, imperfections. But I didn't really see overall, when you look at the metrics overall, I don't really see much progress. You know, we didn't really seem this team see this team, you know, are they a real run-and-gun team? Are they a real a defensive-minded team? Anything? At least under Brian Agler, you knew that, okay, his teams are going to play super slow. They're going to focus on process more than anything. But under Vicky Johnson, I'm not sure. I think we're still figuring that out. And that will be one thing that we can talk about later when we're talking about you know the, the team's 2022 outlook. But, yeah, that's that's one thing I would uh, say about the Wings season last year was that they didn't really have a consistent identity. Yeah, I think, you know, there was certainly an increase, I think, in transition play. You know, they did play with a little bit, you know, every coach says they want to come in and play with more pace. They want to play faster. Yeah, exactly. But they were top four in transition frequency. And I mean, they don't like, you know, they, they don't run a ton of pick and rolls. They don't really have any pick and roll operators. They don't really have any, you know, post-up scorers, at least last season, you know, players that you would really kind of think of as, as back to the basket players that you're going to dump it down to, you know, possession after possession. They had the second fewest proportion of their possessions coming from post-ups and then they were the worst in points per play this team can definitely do some things well and they have some players that i think we both really like but it's still what do they really want to do well you know they they ran their horns action a lot even though i i don't really think that their bigs even kind of are really a great fit for that role but that's kind of that was like sort of their pet play and their pet action but other than that like you know they were decent in offensive rebounding they they didn't really turn it over all that much you know they were top half or so but hard to kind of pinpoint those specific things if a team doesn't have an identity like the wings didn't i mean maybe they did maybe maybe there was a maybe we're just uh missing something which is very possible and vicky johnson said okay this is what we want to be and we just didn't know about it because we're two people just talking into a microphone obviously um i was gonna say I think a big part of this uh, identity crisis, if we want to call it that, is the fact that they played everybody on their team in very strange amounts. A lot, yeah. lot of different lineups. A lot, a ton of lineup combinations and just like very few collections of five players that really got like significant minutes together. They, their core players, like, I mean, some of it was due to injury, right? They, they lost Sabali for a huge chunk of time. Alicia Gray missed, you know, time here and there with uh, with Olympic training camp and stuff like that. Only missed the, the first few games. She was coming off the bench for a little while there. But this was the only team in the league that had 10 players play 300 or more minutes. You know, she, Vicki Johnson, was was trying it all. She was trying it all. So there you go. I mean, that, that kind of speaks to what I was saying, or what I just suggested, was that if a coach is kind of throwing all sorts of different things at the wall and seeing what sticks... I think you have a hard time really establishing a consistent identity than if you than if you're Kurt Miller and you play seven players every game. You know, well, you, you're going to have an identity then. And I think maybe the youth of the team has something to do with it as well. But I don't know. Sure. I, you need if, if I can. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many different options. Like you have this this team. You know, they're not a great team, but they have more players that you feel good about having in a rotation than almost yeah. any other team. You know, all ten of the players essentially that they were playing, you know, those 10 plus minutes a game are, 
you know, rotation caliber players, but a rotation can't be that long. So as you're trying to figure it out, you know, if this was a 50, 60 game regular season, you know, by the end of it, you probably would have had a little bit of a tighter rotation and, and more time to figure it out. But, you know, there, there wasn't kind of obvious players who just, I mean, maybe to you and I, it was obvious, but, you know, players that, that very clearly kind of didn't belong in the rotation because they were either, you know, pretty good uh, established players or first or second year players that are trying to find their footing and the organization is trying to figure out what you have in them. And that is one of the perils of acquiring a ton of draft picks and basically tying yourself to those draft picks. I know you're going to say that you like that strategy and, and that's all fine and good. But like I said, there are growing pains. So the other big statistical thing that I think jumped out and, you know, they were only sixth in offense despite being third in three-point attempt rate and shooting it pretty well, 35%, but they were 11th in two-point percentage. Like this team could just not score, you know, in in totality efficiently from two-point range. And then I, was, I kind of dove into it a little bit more and, you know, their, their two-point scores for the most part were fine. Like Izzy Harrison, 54%. You know, maybe you hope for a little bit better from a center, but that that's not bad. Alicia Gray, 47%, and Marina Mabry, 46%. Like, that's plenty fine for a wing and a point card. And then you get to Arike Agumbawale, who shot below 40% from two-point range. And that that's just not good enough for the role that Arike plays, which is, you know, a 30% usage type player. It seems like we talk about this every season. Um Ariki Gumbawale, her usage actually went down. It was only 28.8%. But yeah, career usage of 30.1%. I mean, this is, and I'll I'll get to this later. This is a point that I wanted to make, but I'll, I'll mention it now. If you have a high usage player like that, who is consistently taking low efficiency shots over and over and over again, there is a, there's a cap on how good your team is going to be. Because that's just so many possessions that are just not good possessions you know what I mean and yeah I mean she's a she's a very talented player obviously she's a very good tough shot maker but I have to wonder you know how how many of those possessions were really could have been more efficient in that like they could have actually gotten a layup out of it or you know like I, I think she's one of the regularly one of the top players in jump shots attempted off the dribble and you know long two-point jump shot jump shots attempted off the dribble isolation and possessions is another isolations one. yeah and that's just not a good shot you know it, not, it's even if a player is you know above average for her position or, or whatever at, at making those quote unquote bad shots, it's not doing anything for your team because it's not getting a, a good look for your team. It's, it's not getting a lap. It's not getting free throws. It's not getting an open three pointer. You know, it's just a possession down the drain in the macro view. And of the twenty nine players that took two hundred two point attempts last year, Arike was the only one under forty percent. Like you don't typically get this high a volume of two point attempts and this poor of efficiency i mean she took she took 20 percent of the team's total two-pointers last year and was in the 28th percentile league-wide so obviously soaking up a ton of attempts 80 more attempts than the next highest player on the team which you know makes some sense because she's kind of the one doing most of like the dribbling and the dribble penetrating but it it just wasn't good enough. You know, those those shots kind of just wax and wane. It, it seems like, as you're saying, aside from kind of year over year, slight increases to the number of threes she's taking, like there's no real dramatic kind of shift in philosophy for the types of shots that she's looking to get. No, and and it bears out in the numbers too. One of the things I, I uh, we've pointed out again and again is that uh, her per 36 numbers, 
are extremely stagnant year by year. If you go to if you go to basketballreference.com, um, there, there's it's, there's a nice concise chart uh, for all the players and their and their career statistics. It's her assists 3.6, 3.7, 3.7, turnovers 2.3, 2.3, 2.4. You know, it, it's just it's stagnant. You know, and you would hope for a franchise player. Um, and again, I, don't get me wrong. I think Eriki Gumbawale is a very talented player, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm hating or, or dumping on her excessively. But you would hope that for a player who, like you said, is so high usage, the Wings are obviously very heavily invested in her. They gave her a huge contract this past offseason, that you see some sort of improvement somewhere. Yeah, and she's still able to be reasonably efficient, right? Because she's a good free throw shooter and she like we, we just kind of mentioned has she's a good three-point shooter as well and is is taking a higher proportion of her shots from three each year i mean she shot 37 and a half percent from three this year on almost seven threes per game so that's great that's yeah. gonna buoy your efficiency so overall you know you you still take an Enrique agumba wale possession over a lot of players in kind of the same neighborhood of of usage i mean only 51 percent true shooting i guess that's right about league average so uh, not amazing, but but still kind of you could do worse as kind of your lead scorer, but you just wish sort of some of the other other elements of her game rounded out a little bit more and especially, you know, playmaking for others. But, you know, maybe that's just not going to come around and you need to be a little bit more creative in the ways that you maximize her as just a play finisher. OK, fair enough. If that's the case, then moving forward in 2021, no, in 2022, we're going to have some questions because this roster is almost identical to last season's, but we can get into that later. Um, okay, let's talk about Alicia Gray for a second. She had a, uh, a rather interesting season. Yeah, Alicia Gray, like one of my favorite kind of non-star players in the She's league. Awesome. I think it, it kind of like took a, a little while maybe to get acclimated to Vicky Johnson or, or maybe vice versa. Like you recall, Vicky Johnson kind of made some odd comments about Alicia Gray, like relearning to play five-on-five -five basketball after the three-on-three -three training camp. I, I don't know if you remember her saying something along yeah those lines. that was a very strange comment to make i'm not sure i'm guessing there was something to it or else she wouldn't have said it but it, it came across extremely awkward yeah it was weird but she came off the bench for nine games all of which were before the break and it was a little bit of a like a down statistical season for gray but from that standard like still very very good relative to the league and kind of the most of the dip came from an increased volume in pick and roll operating where she was in the 100th percentile as a pick and roll scorer in the bubble, but it was only on 16% of her possessions. Uh, last year, 42nd percentile on almost a quarter of her possessions. So you saw a great increase. And this team was also playing with like two big lineups a ton and, and not the best spacing, to be honest with you. So, you know, that forces you to kind of pull up for more bad shots uh, or tough shots. Yep. I shouldn't say bad shots, but more tough shots off the dribble. One thing that always amazes me about Alicia Gray's game is just how well-rounded it is um and it's been that way since she first came into the league as a rookie you know she's one of the most uh wnba ready rookies in recent memory i think and she's only gotten better and she just doesn't have that many weaknesses you know like she can do a little bit of everything you, you bring up the pick and roll scoring or the, the pick and roll operating in particular is that something you'd like to see the wings do more of this season i mean i just i don't know like who the good roller that's really going to kind of open them up open up the pick and roll game. I, I just, I don't think they really have a ton of natural pick and roll operators as ball handlers. And I, okay. I don't really think they have like a great role player unless kind of Tierra McCowan maybe, you know, increases kind of her, I don't know, her, her coordination in that part of her game, I guess is, you know, the kind of the harsh way to put it. 
No, I agree with you. I think McCown has the potential to be a good pick and roll player because she's got that kind of gravity rolling to the hoop. But yeah, the uh, the coordination is is not there. Honestly, on either end of the court, but we can get into that later. So yeah, maybe Alicia Gray, the versatility of her game. She can do a little bit of everything, but maybe not a lot of one thing, if that's fair to say. And the one thing that it always impressed me about her game, and it fell off a little bit last year where we, we saw a little bit of a dip, but for her role, her ability to just put up like monster free throw attempt numbers, Oh yeah, uh, she she's great at, um, I don't know if it's just her, her drive style as a lefty or, or what, but she just seems to get fouled a ton and, you know, pretty legit falls. A, a lot of it is pushing really, really hard in transition, but she also attacks her closeouts extremely hard. It's, you know, she's just one of the best wings in the league getting all the way to the rim into the free throw line, which you wouldn't necessarily expect just kind of watching, you know, her moves. Like she doesn't have a ton of shake off the dribble, but you know, she just gets it done. She's big. She's big and she's strong and she's skilled with the basketball. Um, you don't need to be going hundred miles an hour to get all the way to the hoop. You just use your space efficiently. Really, really impressive player. Uh, well, one more thing else? I just wanted to say about her is that like on this team where there, you just have so many questions and so many players who seem like they're they're maybe just like one spot in the hierarchy, you know, too close to the the top that than they should be. Like Alicia Gray, she could play the same role on on any team in the league, any team, you know, championship caliber or, or what, and you know, she she wouldn't miss a beat, and the team would still be great. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to say is that like this like Alicia Gray and Satu Sabali and Marina Mabry like these players just need to play together more like those those players and Izzy Harrison spent 60 minutes total together and they put up like monster I mean granted it's only 60 minutes so it's like an extremely small sample size but pretty much any any lineup combination you could throw out there was like better with Alicia Gray out there because she's you know one of their their really good players and doesn't take anything off the table for any of your other players and one of their only players who's good on both ends of the floor. That's true. That is a great point. And that, once again, of course, goes back to our our, our beef with Vicky Johnson's massive array of lineups. Um, okay, moving on. Who are we hitting on next here? I don't know. Should we just move on to... We have so much to talk about about this upcoming season, I think, because this team just has so many options. So coming into the season, like you said, a lot of the same players from last year where they have you know, a full roster of players playing all the time, but they brought in Tierra McCowan in a off-season trade. They, of course, drafted Veronica Burton. Uh, Bella Allery will be sitting out the season due to personal reasons. So before we get into like the specifics of this year's rotation and, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and all that stuff, I did kind of want to like just take stock of where this team is from a, a team building perspective. Like you mentioned that they'd been loading up on draft capital. And I think in some ways that's, a good strategy, despite, you know, this team maybe being the, at the expense of, of some jokes for having too many picks and not being able to really kind of roster them all the time and probably having to make some tough decisions even before this season gets started. But I think, that, you know, the problem is this team, despite having a bunch of first round picks in the last couple of drafts, like they still lack high end talent. So I just kind of wanted to harken back to the early days of, of the podcast and go through some of these players on their rookie scale contracts and talk about like what their ceiling is like where where are they in terms of kind of building a team that has multiple star players that can really compete for a championship okay let's do it i'm ready 
Let, let's start with Satu Sabli. So how we kind of break this down is we go, there's a couple of different distinctions. Superstar, star, solid starter, high-end rotation player, and end of the rotation player. So this is talking about these players' ceilings, not necessarily what they'll have this year, but just from kind of a, t- a team-building perspective. So let's start with Sabli. What do we think about her ceiling? I still think Satu Sabli has star potential. I would stop short of calling it superstar potential because I'm not sure how many bona fide superstars are actually in the WNBA. And I think Satu still has a lot of areas in her game that she needs to work on in order to reach that point. But yeah, of their young players, of their core, of their rookie scale contracts, as, as you, that, that's a good way of, of categorizing it. Um, I mean, she clearly has the highest ceiling, right? Six foot four, just glides across the court, completely ambidextrous, um, just a breathtaking talent, really. But need to see another leap here. Yeah, and I think her her defense is probably still a little bit more like theoretical than kind of actualized in a lot of matches. She can her defense. It's like she almost stumbles into making plays on defense because she's just so talented. You know what I mean? So I think it would be a lot to ask for Satu Sabli to be the best player on a contender, but the the path to the second best player on a contender I think is still pretty there for me for Satu. So I agree. I would say star player potential. Let's talk about the player they acquired in a trade, Tierra McCowan. What? Where do you kind of land on McCowan? I'm going to go the optimistic route. Well, maybe, maybe maybe this isn't too optimistic, but I say solid starter. The problem with her is she's not going to be anchoring a good defense. And now that I say that, maybe I should lean more towards high-end rotation player. Um, I mean, she's very, very good at a few things that are important, which is drawing fouls, knocking down free throws, and getting offensive rebounds. And she can efficiently score too. You know, yeah, it's not like she's score. shooting like 44% or something. Yeah, I mean, she, she she's not taking any any bad long twos. She is getting a ton of offensive rebounds and putting them back at good efficiency and often drawing fouls in the process. So those are two things that, as we like to say, drive efficient offense. Defensively, I don't know what the ceiling is, honestly, because we've seen several... Granted, she has gotten a lot better at, I think, defending without fouling you know, defending vertically speaking, but the, the lateral movement is just not good. And if you have a center who's playing exclusively drop coverage like that, I'm not sure how, how good of a team defense you can have. And for it, a center, that's worrying. And she hasn't been able to make up for the lack of athleticism or or foot speed or any mobility with good technique either. You know, it's one thing to, to kind of not be the quickest player, but to know where to be. And McCowan hasn't really been able to. Yeah, the angles. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I went with high-end rotation player. Like, I think the ideal role for Tierra McCowan is a good backup center who can come in, score efficiently, you know, get the other team in the bonus, dominate the glass, and maybe rely on some others to kind of not expose her too much defensively. You know, the problem with this team specifically is I think she just doesn't really fit in with their other good players. But but even still, like, I, I don't really see a path to McCowan becoming a player you have in closing games in like the second round of the playoffs or later. I think it's it's a long way to go from there. You know, now that you bring that up, I, the idea of Tierra McCown coming in against bench lineups, it's not like this hasn't happened before, but on this team in particular, the idea of her coming in against bench lineups is enticing. Because, I mean, you look at her physically speaking, there are not many backup bigs in the WNBA who can handle Tierra McCown on the boards, right? So she's at least good for, you know, drawing a few fouls a game. And that's that's still valuable, you know? Yeah, and when you're going up against backup ball handlers, you know, they're not probably going to expose her in right, pick and roll as right, much as right, right. going against starters. So, all right, let's talk about Marina Mabry. Marina Mabry, I also had in high-end rotation. 
I think Marina Mabry has earned her way to be considered a starting guard in this league, earned her way to definitely start for this team. I think, you know, she's a better option than Ty Harris and Mariah Jefferson. And, you know, we'll see about Burton, but in terms of how they, these players played last year, you know, Mabry had a, a very good offensive season, you know, granted she, she fell off a little bit as the season went on, but you know, if you, if you really have championship aspirations, like I, I think you probably still want her as your third guard. I agree. I agree. And she's, you know, Mabry is one of those players who's like a, they call it a microwave type score where you bring her off the bench and like, she's fully capable of scoring 10, 11 points in a quarter. And she's also very capable of shooting one for nine in a game. So I think what was it that, that, that campaign for, for winning, uh, for getting her most improved player last season, was it most improved player or was it just most high variance shots that are going in the basket at that particular time, you know, and that's nothing against maybe I think she's a really dynamic player. Um, and, and fun to watch. And I think she is one of those players who just make things happen, makes things happen on both ends of the court. But the inconsistency and also the lack of things that you really want a lead guard to be able to do, namely make plays for other players, is uh, does, I think, put a cap on her ceiling. All right, let's get to their lottery picks from last year. What about Charlie Collier? Oof. Um, it was a rough season for Charlie in 2021. I, th- I think she was kind of a an easy target for a lot of fans who said, you know, she, she didn't deserve to go number one overall. She should have stayed in school. And for the record, I am firmly in the camp of you go get that bag. Welcome to the pros. Welcome to earning a paycheck. Um, but, and, and also if you have the chance to go number one, like make, make yeah. that history for yourself. You yeah, know what make I mean? That, yeah. Why not? You know, you're, you're betting on yourself. That's, that's a good thing. Um, she was one of, I believe the poster children for Vicki Johnson's inconsistent rotations. Because you think about a number one overall pick, like that's a player who usually you expect to build your franchise around, like hopefully. Um, and she was really, really jerked around the rotation. She had, I believe, 11, 12 games in which she played single digit minutes. Very strange. I, um, I wish I had time to look into this, but I, I wonder how many games last year she started a half and then didn't play a second stint. So in that weird. Half. So weird. Like, and that's. I, I understand that you have a lot of players who you need. And this goes back to the rotation thing again, you know? I mean, you have depth. Yeah, that's you have 11 players, who, 11, 12 players who are WNBA caliber players, but somebody needs to not play. And unfortunately for Charlie Collier, that was that was her most of last season. Um, you know, she got a double-double in her first ever game against the Sparks and then was really inconsistent. You know, one thing I will say about her, she was another really good off, uh, offensive rebounder. About 21.5% of her possessions were putbacks, which is really good. But at the same time... And, and that was far and away like her most efficient offense. She shot 35% on cuts to the basket. As a six foot five player, that's not good. And she also attempted a grand total of zero three-pointers. I, I think her, her three-point shooting was kind of overstated in college, but I mean, she was willing to take them. In the WMA, she didn't take any. She hasn't taken any so far. I wonder if that's a coaching thing because Bella Allery, the same thing happens with her in Dallas. But regardless, I mean, Kyler didn't, she didn't earn, she didn't earn a spot flat out. So landing the plane here, I can't go any higher than rotation player right now because she needs to excel at something. And she, well, that's, that's what everybody. I wanted to ask you. Like, what is she supposed to do at a really high level against other star centers? Like what's the theory of Collier when she was a number one pick to be well, the, the anchor of a franchise? I think... <laughs> First of all, that's she's not going to be an anchor to anyone's franchise. I'm sorry, that that's that's not going to happen. But um, I think she does have a few valuable. She's a good athlete for her position. Maybe not the best, but she is a player who I think, for a center, can get out and run in transition more than her peers. 
in theory, she should be able to move without the basketball and finish at the hoop. I, that that cut shooting percentage was astoundingly low. That was very very surprising to me. I mean, we've but, we've seen rookie players just like not be able to finish and then adjust. You know, their second year. That's kind of what I was getting. You know, I, I think when she gets a little stronger in the upper body, I think that is a place she's going to finish a lot more, and I think that's going to be one of her strengths. She does have some skill, some versatility on her jump shot. I think for her, it's a matter of you know choosing the right finish. I think a lot of times last year we saw Charlie Collier just choose to go up with a, a finesse finish or like a fadeaway two-pointer when I mean you're six foot five with really long arms just go up and finish that so I don't think she'll ever be like a uh, I, don't, I don't know if she's going to be a solid starter even uh, but a high-end rotation player I could see yeah this was you know the one I have the least feel for of course because she just did not play all that much she didn't play, yeah. um, but I, I also went with high-end rotation player and you know the finishing around the rim last year was pretty poor also one and one last year compared to 14 times getting her shot blocked. That is not very encouraging for a center who, you know, you ideally is finishing with some power as you're saying. And I just, I don't know if she's going to be able to, you know, dominate back to the basket against starting centers. It it doesn't really seem like, you know, she hasn't used her great athletic advantages to like beat opposing centers in the open court. She just never got out in transition last year. So there's a lot of opportunity to obviously prove us wrong, but I'm with you. High-end rotation player is kind of where I ended up. So, so so far, you know, we've gone through four players and we have one star potential and not another solid starter among the bunch. But let's go to a walk queer. What do you think about queer? I think she's a solid starter, at least. This is another player who was maybe jerked around even more than Charlie Cowley. You know, she was at the start of the season, you know, she didn't really play at all. Um, yeah, well, she at least didn't play, you know, yeah. it, it's almost better to just not play than kind of have these little seven minute stints at the start of each game and then just not, you know, you're a starter, but then you never play another stint. Right. And that was queer. And then towards the end of the season, she kind of got some minutes, but it's like, yeah, you know, queer is a player who I think she, I, w- I would have loved to see her on just like a tanking team, like, you know, Indiana or, or Atlanta or something like that, where she just got all the reps she could handle of these players. She might have, besides Satu, um, the most well-rounded skill set. Like, she has the potential to excel at several things, particularly for her position. But, man, she is still just so raw. She's still just 20 years old. And you saw a lot of her game. You know, I mean, I don't know if she was ready for the WNBA last year. She fouled a lot. She turned it over a lot. She did not shoot the three-pointer well. But, of course, that goes back to, once again, rotation. Like, a young player, she's got to build confidence. And that wasn't there last season, so... I'm going with solid starter at least. I could see her becoming a star, but right now I just have nothing to base that on. Yeah, I did end up going with star potential, but a long, long way to go, obviously. Very long way to go. You and know, and but, that's not, not even like this season. You know, it's Yeah, but you know, the mobility, the size and length, the ball skills, the shooting potential, the defensive potential. But I mean she if you wanted to tell me she was the worst player in the WNBA last year, like I, I wouldn't be able to argue with it. But you know, we're, we're talking about kind of building blocks of the future, and I, I think she's she's definitely up there. I mean, um, compared to Collier, I would much rather have her in the future than Collier. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let's talk about Ty Harris, a player who's only going into her third season. This one hurts, but I think right now, end of the rotation player. I, I, I think heading into the WNBA, I think I saw Harris as kind of a, a high floor, low ceiling player, but she was very underwhelming last season. Really couldn't beat out Mariah Jefferson for a spot. 
So I mean, she they played the exact same number of minutes. Essentially, they were both like sixteen minutes per game. It, it was Ty Harris played more minutes than Mariah Jefferson, like total minutes. You know, Jefferson missed a couple of games. That's the only reason why. But they played sixteen and seventeen minutes a game respectively. Like that, when I saw that yesterday, it blew my mind. I could not believe Ty Harris was playing as much as Jefferson. Very strange. Like if if you want a player to play, why why are you bringing her off the bench so much? But anyway, so I don't think Harris has ever been a very high ceiling type of player. But she's been a steady type of player. Unfortunately, last season, you just saw a lack of big-time impact from Ty Harris. She was there. She was on the floor. She was, I think, a decent defender for her position. Um, but the offense wasn't there, you know? And, and that, that's a case where it's like, okay, if, if Harris isn't providing you with efficient offense, she's, what, she's taking care of the basketball. She's defending adequately. I can't call a player who does that anything more than a high-end rotation player. And right now she's playing like an end of the rotation player. So I don't know, somewhere in between there. I I just wasn't convinced. Yeah, this one was tough for me. I have solid rotation player. And then I said, maybe end of rotation, but it's going to come down to, I think, whether she can just become a little bit better of a shooter because the paint scoring is not really there. She just doesn't have any like real like creativity or diversity to her like finishing package. Like everything is a hundred percent right-handed. She pretty much has like one layup she goes to. And if she can't, kind of get her shoulder in between her and the defender like the layup is just going to be way off she's okay from three you know 39 for 115 that's just a tick under 34 percent for her role you know that that's just got to be higher because she's not really giving you much else except for that she never turns it over and you know she plays all right defense for her position so you know, I, I still believe that she can probably be a pretty reliable backup point guard who's not going to kill you on either end, but like she's obviously not changing the fortunes of this team, which is kind of the point of this exercise. Okay, moving on. You said Belle Allery, she is sitting out the season. I hope she's okay, personal reasons. Um, But you still wanted to include her in this exercise as she is still on a rookie seal contract. Yeah, I imagine she's still going to be kind of part of the future of this team. And honestly, maybe that was part of her thinking um, in sitting out is that they have a lot more room for her on the roster next year. Um, I I put high-end rotation player, you know, could probably close games for you situationally, but I also just think, like, you're not getting enough offense from her out of this spot, you know, once you get to the highest level. So maybe she'll be a, a, a defensive specialist that closes some games if you are really killing it from some of your other offensive players, but I don't think you could, like, shoo her in as a starting center on a really good team. Especially given the state of centers around the WNBA, it is a very loaded position. We could just say front court right now. Um, Bella Allery, this is another thing we always bring up when we talk about the wings. Bella Allery's career usage percentage so far is 10.8%. 9.9% last year. She never shoots. And it's, once again, I'll say it's very, very strange that a player who was known for being an offensive dyno, carrying her team at Princeton on offense, just comes to the WNBA and just doesn't shoot. Doesn't shoot. Um... And that is, I don't know if you could put that on coaching or anything. I mean, she's very clearly not at an athletic advantage here, but we kind of expected that, right? So her turning herself into a defensive specialist, as you like to say, is good. It's good. But at the same time, at this level, I don't think you can afford, I don't think you can be a starting level player if you don't clearly excel, like really, really like elite, elite tier defense and just not shoot the basketball. You know what I'm saying? So I also said high-end rotation player. All right. Just a couple more here. Chelsea Dungy. I think this one will be pretty quick. End of the rotation player. Didn't play last year. Um, you know, I hate to say, I hate to bring overseas stuff into this, but 
I mean, she was cut from two different teams in two different countries. Uh, in, in pretty short order. Pretty short order. Um, during a pandemic when teams want to hold on to their players if possible. So um, she certainly seems like the odd player out, doesn't she? She certainly does. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't really see it for Chelsea Dungy. You know, she has a hard time just kind of creating anything efficient for herself, uh, even against kind of weaker competition. So that's unfortunate, um, but, you know, hopefully she improves. Let's go to Veronica Burton. We can kind of talk more about, you know, the draft pick and, and kind of what you thought about the fit okay. for the Dallas Wings and kind of tie all that into to this conversation. All right. Veronica Burton, I'm a fan. You know, I, obviously I live in Big Ten country, so I've seen her play uh, multiple times. I think this is a good pick for the Wings. Uh, you know, I, I figured they, they would go point guard because that's the only position on their roster that they have. I mean, it's the only position on their roster where they could they could cut someone and, and not take a ton of flack for it, right? But also, you know, a position that could be clearly upgraded. And Burton, at least on defense, is a clear upgrade. Um, she's. I think a lot of times in college you see players who put up big steal numbers just because they play in an aggressive scheme. Um, or, you know, they gamble out of it or they play it at the top of the zone and the coach says, okay, go get, go get the ball. Um, but Burton is a player who is, her, her defense is going to translate to the next level. She's got a really strong base. Um, she, this is, this is kind of an anecdotal evidence, but she likes playing because when I was at the big 10 tournament this past, uh, this past March, not a very packed house, unfortunately, whenever Northwestern was playing. So you could hear Burton communicating on defense. She was, you know, she was saying like, hands up, hands up. Like she was shouting at her, at her teammates to keep their hands up while she was guarding the ball. And to me, like, that may seem like a like a whatever sort of thing, but you don't see a lot of players do that. She very cr- clearly takes pride in it. It's something she's good at, and I think that's a big part of being good at something at the next level. So I think as a point-of-attack defender, she's going to be awesome, and it's definitely something this team needs is point-of-attack defense because not really none of their guards, really. I mean, you could say Alicia Gray maybe, but none of their point guards, none of their lead guards are really going to get after it at the point-of-attack. Don't, you don't have to worry about that with Burton. Offensively, I think the ceiling is maybe a little bit lower. She's got uh, an inconsistent, you know, I actually don't even want to say that. She, she's, she's an average jump shooter. I think it's average. Um, the problem is with Northwestern, you had a team that was routinely, I mean, they had one good offensive season when she was there, but the rest pretty average. So she, as your point guard, was basically the lead scorer and the lead playmaker. I think she was a little overtaxed in that role, at least pertaining to team success. So she's a really good pick-and-roll scorer. I'm not sure if she's a value-added passer, though. So. I mean, she. even that being said, she still might be the best passer out of this group of point guards. I agree. I agree. I'm still going high-end rotation player, but I guess you're becoming a solid set. Yeah, if, if, if this season ends, and it ends at, like, Burton starting the final dozen games or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I did end up going with solid starter, and honestly, maybe it's just because, like, I haven't seen her not do it yet. Like, you know, all of these other options pretty much, but you know, if the defense holds and she's able to be a reliable off ball player, you know, you mentioned she's kind of an average shooter. She went 162 for 488, 33% in college over her career. So, you know, good enough that you can kind of talk yourself into seeing reasonable improvements as she develops, especially when you factor in that she's a very, very good free throw shooter. Again, on, on pretty decent volume, 81.5% for her career. And on top of that, she seems to be a little bit more efficient, as most players are, obviously, as a catch-and-shoot player than off the dribble. And she took uh, a decent amount of off-the-dribble threes, that, you know, probably driving her percentage down a little bit. So right. 
you know, if she's 35, 36% on catch and shoot shots and she can be kind of a secondary playmaker, you know, just, you know, not kind of kill you on that end and really bring kind of the defense that is expected of her to bring. Yeah, I could see that being a solid starter on a team that needs exactly that, like a little bit more off ball gravity and and a really good defender for guarding primary ball handlers. So you agree that that pick made a lot of sense, right? Yeah, I think so. Especially like you're saying, like, I mean, they have a lot of point guards, but they, it was clearly a position that needs to be upgraded. And honestly, she, you know, aside from a player or two that I might've liked better that was available at that spot, you know, one of the better players on the board, just in terms of overall talent, as well as, you know, fitting a need. It was a player that I liked better than kind of some of the other point guards, especially kind of for what this team, where they are right now. I agree. But with that being said, like we, we kind of wrap it up, like not a lot, you know, that's a lot of bites at the apple. We talked about a lot of players that they have under rookie scale contracts and we don't really see a super high ceiling for any of them. So that leads me to the question of like, what does this team still like, what are they missing to this feels like the kind of team that sorry to kind of ramble here, but like, this feels like the kind of team, like if you're a fan, you're like, well, I don't want to get rid of, you know, this player. Cause they're, they're pretty good. Like all their players are, are good enough that you want to oh, keep around. Good, yeah. But, you know, what are they kind of still missing to to vault themselves into like serious be, being a contender? They're missing a star. And I think I think that the hope at, at one point was they, would, they were able to package a lot of these assets in exchange for a star. But that just hasn't materialized. So here we are. All right. Let's talk about the rotation and kind of who we want to play this year and, you know, who should maybe kind of take a backseat to some of the other players. Like there's just no reason for you to play three point guards and three centers every game. So... You know, for me, I think you kind of run your three guards of Burton, Mabry, and Agumbawale, right? Jefferson and Harris can probably play a little bit more of bit roles. Chelsea Dungy probably doesn't make the team, unfortunately. Alicia Gray is your three. Kayla Thornton maybe plays a little bit of three for you. Or, I mean, this team did play a lot of three-guard lineups last year, so maybe we see Burton play alongside Mabry and Agumbawale when Alicia Gray is not on the floor. Any objections so far? You know, any of those players you think I'm overrating or underrating? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. It, looking at that back end of the, the point guard rotation with Jefferson and Harris, I do think something happens there. I don't think they draft Burton without either the without the intent of cutting either either Jefferson or Harris, but, but carry on. Well, I think importantly, Richard Cohen, uh, yes. the, the WNBA alien, did point out on Twitter, I think it was on draft night, that this team can cut Mariah Jefferson in her one year of protected salary left on her contract and still be able to roster 12 players. So I think that's pretty important. And I'm, if I had to bet, I would guess that had something to do with them trading two picks and bringing in, you know, one player for those two picks. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, honestly, maybe Jefferson and, and Harris are both gone. Um, but I mean, we're finally in this, uh, the situation when they can, get rid of that bad, that quote unquote bad contract and not, and not look foolish for doing so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It would certainly look a lot better than having a steward do still on the, the payroll this year. Yes. For yes. That was six figures. Thing. Yeah. Okay. So I think the, the front core is a little bit tougher. They have six players who either can really play or were a top two pick last year. So Sabali, Thornton, a walk queer. Those are players you kind of think of more as fours than fives. And then they have three straight centers, McCowan, Izzy Harrison, and, and Charlie Collier. You know, Harrison played a little bit for them as a four, but I would say she's a five. I think you probably would as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the problem with this group of centers is one, not 
Like these are all three conventional centers, but none of them are really plus defensive players for that position. And then two, none of them can stretch the floor. So like in theory, you have these three center options whose games all kind of differ from one another, but none of them really actually open things up for you that are not given to you by any of the other options. Like, yeah, McCowan can rebound a little bit more. Harrison is a little bit more mobile. Collier is athletic or, you know, whatever she's purported to do well. She's um, from Texas. She's, she's from Texas. <laughs> you know, she's a hometown kid. That's definitely important. But like, who is kind of like your preferred player here when you're talking about like actually closing games? I mean, I think I have to go Isabel Harrison. Um, McCowan is just too, is just too much of a liability in, in, in open space. Um, if I'm closing a game with McCowan, I'm I'm very nervous. And Collier hasn't earned it, plain and simple. Um, Harrison, on the other hand, career year last season was so really really good last year. She was really solid. Like she's not a player who I think you'd think of as. <laughs> This is going to sound really bad, but she's not a player who you think of being a starting caliber center, at least compared to a lot of the other starting caliber centers in the league. But of these three options, I think she's clearly the best. And obviously, you know, I think the ideal, you'd probably agree with me, like, is two, three years from now, Awak Queer and Satu Saboli playing at the four and the five in some yeah. combination. Um, but, you know, as we talked about earlier, I just I just don't think Queer is going to be ready this season. She's still extremely young, but that that's kind of the future. Can, can they just play Sabley at the five and not play anybody else there? Yeah, well, that that opens up. Well, let, let's get back to that for one second. How many minutes do you think Satu Sabley and Awak Queer played together last year? None. Zero. It, yeah, it they, can't be many. They, they played zero minutes together last oh, year. Oh, I was right? Oh. Yeah. But so so that would, you know, playing Sabley at the five and another option at the four, that, that would bring you to Kayla Thornton as your kind of fifth closer, which I think, I mean, I think we, we both agree that she's a very good defensive player and kind of leaves a little bit to be desired on the offensive end. And this is tough because I love Kayla Thornton. I love her game, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure how it fits in on this roster because, like, you figure offensively she's more of a four, defensively she's more of a three. I think she's this team's best defensive player all around, um, and I love what she brings. You know, she's got a, a great nose for the basketball. She's tough as nails, all that stuff, but she's blocking better players who are at the position at any of the positions that she can play, you know? If you're playing her at the four, then you're kind of taking away from Sabli's minutes. If you're playing her at the three, you're taking away from Alicia Gray's minutes. Both players who are, let's face it, better players than Kayla Thornton. So that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah, and she's maybe, you know, depending on the season, a good enough three-point shooter to get away with it, but she's... She's going to be be the, the player who other teams ignore. Yeah, for sure. And she's not really able to kind of make you pay from two... You know, it's just so it waxes and wanes so hard for her. It's it's fifty three percent from two one season and then thirty eight percent and then fifty three percent and then forty five percent. It's just, there's obviously you know we're we're talking about you know twenty five thirty games each year, so it's it's very easy to kind of get to that variance. But you know if you're not kind of making a ton of threes from when you're in this role, it's very hard to kind of stick out there. But you know, it's it's a team that has a lot of options and and none uh, none of the options for this kind of fifth player. Like I think even Alicia Gray is maybe a little bit too small to kind of slide into the four in some of those small ball lineups. Mm-hmm. Then you're you're really kind of hurting for size there. So I mean, I, I like Thornton, but like, is it worth the trade off of getting Sabali to the five if you're not even really kind of opening things up for yourself offensively with Thornton at the four? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So I guess, you know, we, we've hit on pretty much all these players and I think there's <laughs> questions to be answered, but let, let's talk about maybe some of their 
their strengths and weaknesses. We should also say that they have Destiny Walker, Morgan Birch, and Unique Thompson under contract. You know, with 13 players essentially already on roster, I have a hard time seeing any of them make it. You know, I guess my big question for this team is like, are they going to be able to balance offense and defense in any lineup they can put together? Like they have Thornton, great defensive player, you know, Mariah Jefferson, good defender who kills your spacing, can never get to the line, can never break the paint. Never gets to the line. Arike Gumbawale can't defend at all. Like it's of the, you know, the, the school of like can't, won't, doesn't know how, like she does strike me as a little bit of a won't defender. You know, she, she just gets lost in help defense. Like her player she gets back cut like so often it's it's unbelievable and she very and, and her transition defense is really bad like like she will very rarely she, she's one of those players who like as soon as the shot goes up okay leak out leak out because you know she's not going to get back yeah it's a problem so izzy harrison i i think is probably their closest thing to like a two-way center but you know none, none of the other ones like i said they're all kind of offensive focused um so yeah not not a lot of uh balance i guess when you're talking about i offense. think with harrison you can at least depend on her to make a few plays in space yeah for sure she she has really good like stocks numbers she she's gonna get killed on post-ups by bigger players but it's either you know getting killed on post-ups or getting killed in the pick and roll and i don't know choose your poison i guess so what do you expect this team to be good at next year offensive rebounding we already said it mccown is one of the best rebounders in the game they were third in offensive rebounding rate last season and they added Tierra McCowan. Charlie Kyler, if she plays, is a pretty good offensive rebounder. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they just like lead or are in second place in offensive rebounding rate this coming season. I think they're also pretty good in transition. Like they're not the most prolific transition team, but they have a lot of players who theoretically are good in transition. That that's one thing I think you wanted to mention about Sabli. For some reason, her transition numbers were very poor last season. But we know just watching her play uh, for Fenerbahce that she can do it. There's no reason why she shouldn't be able to. Enrique Gunbuale, of course, a terror in transition. Uh, and Alicia Gray, as you said, also low-key, very, very good. Um, any objections so far? No, definitely. I think they they should, you know, you look at these players that they have, and they should be a very, very good transition team. Okay. And then the other thing I had was pick-and-roll scoring. Maybe not even pick-and-roll scoring, maybe just downhill scoring in general. Um, obviously, Enrique Gunbuale is a real pain to keep away from the rim and, and from the free-throw line if she gets going downhill, like with a ball screen. Mabry, I think, is pretty good at that as well, and they added another uh, guard in Burton who can who can do some damage out of the pick and roll as well. So and Alicia Gray because she does everything. Unfortunately, that stops at scoring. It's not pick and roll playmaking. It's pick and roll scoring. So, um, but yeah, that is a strength. Yeah, I would agree with that one as well. Oh, I, I think this team overall could just be like a really really good offense. Like if they just decide like you know we don't really have that many defenders anyway. Let's just try to outscore folks. Like I could see this team being a top four offense and a bottom four defense and just kind of counting on outscoring teams each night, like being a pretty good shooting team, a lineup of Mabry and Agumbawale and Alicia Gray and Satu Sabali. Like those are four really, really good shooters for their position. You know, you want Sabali to maybe translate a little bit more to her shooting from Fenerbahce this year to, you know, to the WNBA, but she was still a hundredth percentile in pick and pops last year. So hey. uh, floor spacing and, and shooting and, and just offense overall, you know, if, if they can just kind of, get a slight decrease in in Enrique's usage and kind of, you know, make it just a little bit more egalitarian to players that are a little bit more efficient depth. You know, they have a lot of players, they have options, (laughs) (laughs) but is it functional depth? I think there's a chance, you know, now that most of these players are a full season under Vicki Johnson, like she comes out with a tight kind of eight and a half player rotation and kind of knows what she wants to do each night. You know, that, that would not surprise me at all. 
you know, one of my weaknesses I had was coaching philosophy. I'm not saying VJ is a good or a bad coach, but until proven otherwise, I mean, the rotation is simply too big. It's too long. You, you, you can't, it's really hard to establish a team identity if you are playing 11 players every night. And if you're playing lineups out there that just kind of punt away minutes, you know, lean into your best players. It's okay. You don't have to play everyone 20 minutes a game. You have this as well, um, but passing, I think, is going to be kind of a weakness for this team. They were among the worst teams in the league in terms of just like assist percentage. You, you just look up and down the roster, like who is the plus passer at their position? Maybe now it's... Sabley. Yeah, I, I guess she's all right as a passer. But she's not making plays for others, though. That's the problem. There's no value added passing here. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe Veronica Burton turns out to be... Again, you're just kind of comparing her to these other guards that are not very good passers. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot of kind of individuals, you know, creating great plays for themselves, I think, which, you know, can can still be pretty good. But there's just not a ton of kind of collective team passing, I think, on this yeah, team. Yeah, I agree. How about just spot-up shooting in general? No, okay, so this is weird. In our notes, I have spot-up shooting as a, as a weakness. Um, you had floor spacing as a strength. But last season, I mean, they, they ranked 10th in catch-and-shoot. 11th in spot of efficiency, and they don't have any stretch bigs. So... Well, Sable is a stretch big. Okay. Is she going to be used as a stretch big? Well, she better be, because Tierra McCown's going to be down there. There you go. See? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that happening, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to say it's a strength until I see it. They, they it, also just don't have a ton of, like, dead-eye, high... Yeah, or, yeah. High there's no, like, no Ali Quilly, there's no Kayla McBride, there's no Shakina Strickland, there's none of those players on this team. So there, there, there's, there are a lot of... Uh, decent to good three-point shooters, but nobody who is just going to have their defender stick to them like glue in the corner, you know? Yep, I agree with you. I, I agree with that. Um, maybe I was overrating their their spacing a little bit. but You know, I think I, I think um, maybe a better way of, of what you were trying to say was just their ability to, oh, I was going to say spread the floor, but that's basically the same thing. Um, they can certainly stand out there. They can stand out there very, very, very well. They can stand out there. Um, maybe attack closeouts from every position. I don't know. Post defense, I think, is going to be you know McCown is is pretty strong, but pretty much all these other center options that they have, or even power forward options, you know, Kayla Thornton playing the four, Sabley playing the four. You have a lot of players that could like just be put in the goal by the other bigs around the league. I mean, Isabel Harrison is is too short to be a center, and Sabley, Queer, and Collier all need to get stronger. So basically, you're you're really only good post defender is McCown, right? So I agree with you. I was actually going to take that one step further and just say half-court defense in general. Um, they were 11th in last season in half-court defense, and basically, and they lost their best defensive big in Ellery, right? So they also allowed um, the second-highest frequency in shots at the rim. So 35.6% of, 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 of opposing shots came at the rim. Not good. And lowest frequency shooting long twos. So only 11.6% of, of opponents' shots came from that long that mid-range long two zone that we hate so so they're basically never forcing teams to take bad shots yes remember we talked about the aces and how the bill and beer defense always forces opponents to take inefficient shots that's the opposite of this team you can get into say like okay well they like three-point shooting for instance that can be a large largely a, a luck sort of thing um this could be a lot of noise in that but if you're consistently allowing opponents to get to the rim and you're consistently not not forcing opponents into inefficient shots, the numbers are just going to go go against you most of the time. Anything else oh. for? I mean, just defenses overall. Anytime you know, Burton's not not to put kind of too much 
stock in kind of how a rookie is going to defend, but you just look at all these other options. Like, yeah, I, I guess Jefferson can get into you a little bit. You know, Marina maybe is going to defend hard, but she's just like pretty slow laterally. Thornton and, and Gray, I think are probably plus defenders for their position, but there's no stopper on this team. The only, if your only good defensive players are your, your three and your backup three or slash four, like you're probably not going to stop anybody. Especially when you have a center who can't move her feet. So how do you, how do you cover for bad dribble penetration defense? with an active front court, right? They're not going to have a very active front court unless Harrison and Sabu are at the four and the five. So one more weakness I wanted to add was just shot selection in general. Um, they have some players who are great tough shot makers, but again, like so many of your possessions, they, they have the second highest rate of off dribble jump shot frequency. 28.9% of their jumpers were off the dribble last season. I, I need to see some of those turn into catch and shoots. You know, it's, it's just over the course of a season, that's just not going to win you as many games. They're also year over year, number one in the league in isolation possessions. Um, yeah, I wonder why. I mean, yeah, that that is mostly being driven by one player, but still, like, those are pretty much kind of the least efficient shots in terms of a points per play basis. So, I mean, if, I mean, we, we say it every year and we've said it half a dozen times already on this podcast, but if Arike can just kind of like cut, cut out the worst elements of her game and just be slightly more efficient, take up slightly less of her kind of worst shots and, and have those go to, to other people, maybe it's never going to happen. And you just kind of have to build around, you know, a 51% true shooting player who, you know, uses 28% of your possessions when she's on the court and can, can hit some tough shots. Like she, there are still, not a ton of players you probably kind of want taking or creating the last shot for themselves mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in a tough situation more than Enrique. Like she can kind of get you a pretty good look in that position, but still, you know, over the course of 40 minutes, over the course of 36 games, it kind of, you know, is not necessarily being maximized. And that's one of the main reasons why I can't see this wings team finishing very high in the standings is because once again, like I, I don't mean to dump one on one player all the time, and again, I'm not like a hater or anything like that. But if you have one player who's consistently taking a lot of low efficiency shots, there is a cap on the team ceiling. I'm going to say maybe a sixth seed. Okay. Realistically, how much how much higher can they go? Because I feel like there's still a clear line in the sand between this Wings team and all the teams in the league that you consider to be good. Yeah, I would not be surprised if just like last year they were kind of the best of the bad teams you know maybe the liberty are kind of in the same neighborhood as them like i i certainly wouldn't pencil this team in for the lottery you know i i don't think they are not the fever they're not the dream i think those are no, not horrible clearly they're not horrible yeah i think those two teams are kind of you know shoe wins for the lottery and then there's probably four teams that are kind of in the same neighborhood that that might miss the playoffs you know if Washington doesn't get a full season of Elena Deladon, if things don't click for the Liberty, you know, th- there's just a, a few different ways for things to go bad for a few different teams. But I would expect this team to honestly be the seventh seed again. I think they're going to kind of just barely make the playoffs, probably be like a one and a half net rating by the end of the season, you know, be a, a pretty good offense, be a terrible defense. Maybe coaching, you know, they can just kind of coach their way into not being a bottom four defense, but. I think that would be an impressive feat if they pulled that off. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think what we need to watch for is just the in-house improvement again. I feel like we said this last year too, but I mean, if, 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 if your roster is, like, if you're bringing back 
what, 10 of the same players you had last season? I mean, what else can you do year year by year but but compare those players to themselves and say, okay, we need to get improvement from Enrique. We need Sabley to reach your ceiling. We need Queer to develop. Um, we need Collier to be a rotation-level player. And, uh, and that's all there is to it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we very much appreciate when you do, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts as well. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric on Twitter at E or myself at Trinkwald. And we'll be back uh, soon, sometime, with someone, another Team Outlook. Who knows? Yes, we will. we're not done yet, so we'll be back uh, shortly. See you, everybody. Take care.